I left for work that day with the expectations of giving my daughter a party. And instead I had to come home and start planning her funeral. I just began to scream, Cordell, if you can hear me get up. He never got up. To this day, I can still hear her telling me that my son is dead. They literally pulled Gary and drug him to the side of the road as if my baby was roadkill. He got shot three times in the chest. I wanted to see him just to hug and kiss him, tell him that I love him. He shot my son as he sat in the driver's seat 14 times. He never made it out the car. Kimani was my only child, and I watched him die in my arms. It took everything in me to just breathe. I didn't, I didn't understand. That was my first child, my firstborn child, you know. You think of your children burying you. You don't think of you burying your children. She was a strong advocate for the underdog. He didn't want to party and hang out. He wanted to be married. He was very quiet. He had this very uh, kind of reserved old man spirit about him. He worked a part-time job at a local nursing home. The last thing I told her was that I loved her. And I got to hear her say she loved me too. I could never tell a mother that it's gonna get better, because it's not gonna get better, it get worse. This is a pain that I would never wish on my worst enemy. I wouldn't wish on anybody to have their child taken from them. It's forever. It is forever. How could we not stand up and fight for our children? You watch as people normalize it and they say it's okay, it's not okay. And so I want every parent to know, no, 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 this is no time to shut up. You speak out for your baby. I will fight for my child with my last breath. There's no peace or rest for anybody anymore. Hello everyone, I'm Devin Moore. I'm a Humanity Rising ambassador and the founder of Hashtag Race to Speak Up, an anti-bullying organization. Humanity Rising is a student-led movement to create a better world through service. We help students find their service passion and give them a voice to help them share what they are doing to make a positive difference in the world. Welcome to our Creating World Peace Through Unity Humanity Rising Voices podcast series hosted by Steve Sarowitz. We are really excited to have you guys here today. Joining Steve is Andrew Stroth. Andrew Stroth is the managing partner at Action Injury Law Group. Action Injury Law Group is a results-driven civil rights and personal injury firm dedicated to serving our community throughout Chicagoland and the state of Illinois, or Illinois. There will be time for Q&A, and now I'll turn it over to Steve to begin. Andrew. You and I are partners and friends, and I just want to say that was very powerful. And I want to commend you for what you do every day. I know you're in this for the right reasons, and you're in there to change the world. 
they say that justice to injustice to any of us is any one of us is injustice to all of us. So why don't you maybe introduce yourself and say a little bit more about what you do and, and why you do it? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks, Steve, for having me on this program. And I love the idea of humanity rising. It's I spent 20 years representing professional athletes, NBA players, NFL players, baseball players, TV personalities. And, you know, I got a vision from God. And six years ago, I decided to use my talents and my experience and my relationships. And I started a law firm with the distinct purpose of representing victims who have been brutalized by the police unjustifiably. My vision was, how do I create a national law firm that helps advance justice, not just in filing lawsuits, even though we do that all the time, but in social advocacy and working with people in the community to advance change and social justice. So I'm, I'm honored and grateful. The video that we just watched, it's, it's the reason I wake up every day. It's, it's about supporting these families. We have a particular focus on mothers because we think they're the first responders and influencers in our community. And we wanna amplify, lift up, and mobilize these mothers to advance social justice and racial equity in America. And those mothers are really hidden. You know, I had the belief, as I think a lot of people do, that it's, you know, it's kind of tough for black men because black men are getting shot, black men are getting arrested, um, a, a lot of black men are incarcerated, and black yeah. men deal with a lot of things. And then I started talking to some of my black female friends and they said, really? <laughs> they kind of, some of them said it that nicely. And it, you know, but wait a second, don't you realize that black women have double prejudice? They have sexism and racism. And they are mothers to these people getting shot, you know, and, and they're worried every day when their sons go out. Yes. Um, and they're suffering as you could see in the video. And so maybe talk a little bit more about the, the silent suffering of the mothers. Yeah, the mothers will tell you, it's, it's a pain. I have three young children. I can't even imagine for a moment losing a child under any circumstances. And all those mothers, like, you know, we represent them and we help them, but no one can bring their children back. And that, those sons and those daughters, they had dreams. They had aspirations. That was somebody's child. And, 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 and it's, it's a pain that the mothers would tell you they can't even imagine and that they wouldn't wish, as Chantel Brooks said, on their worst enemy. And I'll tell you, we had a case Jose Nieves, he was shot and killed on the northwest side of Chicago. I represent the family. Our team worked, and we brought the evidence to Kim Fox. We brought all the evidence, all the people in the community. And this past December 20th, that officer was convicted of second-degree murder for killing Jose Nieves. And it was only the third time in 50 years in Chicago that an officer has been convicted of, of murder. And I remember after we walked out of the courtroom and... Brunilda Torres, the mother of Jose Nieves, hugged me, I think tighter than I've ever been hugged. And she whispered in my ear, I love you and thank you so much for helping our family. And I had to leave the courthouse because at that moment, it just reinforced that that's why we're here, to support these families and advance justice. And these mothers don't want it to happen to anyone else. And they want to turn their pain into purpose. Well, you and I were connected with uh, Jamel Roberson. It by by Beatrice, his wonderful mother, and yes. you know, she's another mother who's suffering. And this is a case of a good man with a gun. And yeah. uh, as we both found out, it's not so easy to get a policeman convicted, even if he shoots someone 
who's a hero four times in the back with an AR-15. Yes, the, the laws are so, if you or I were to shoot someone, we would be in prison today. Officers have qualified immunity, and that is such a high standard. And under the laws as they currently are today, and under the doctrine of qualified immunity, officers can shoot first and ask questions later. And it's not acceptable. And the officer's own belief cannot be the standard. So, you know, we're advocating for changes in legislations and laws. On the Roberson case, Jamel Roberson was a hero. Jamel Roberson was a good man. And the officer made a fatal, tragic, and I think unjustified decision in that moment. And he should be held responsible. But the laws are such that the criminal statutes make it very difficult to convict an officer beyond a reasonable doubt. And now obviously there's a different standard with the criminal case versus the civil case, but it's it, there's a reason why very few officers get charged and let alone convicted. And we should point out that neither you or I are, is against police officers. Well, I would tell you, Steve, the first thing I would tell you, I am pro-police. I am pro-police, I am pro-law enforcement. We are anti-police that violate the constitution. And I also tell you, we have, filed actions against black officers, white officers, Hispanic officers. We, we are against any officer who violates people's protection under the laws and people's constitutional rights. Yeah, and, and really it's better for policemen to get the bad policemen out. Just like any yeah, profession, yeah. you don't want doctors who are killing people. You don't want incompetent lawyers or judges. You yes. want the best of the best in your profession. And particularly with the policemen, who's got life and death in his hands. You look at what happened with, with Mr. Floyd. There was a policeman who'd done this many times before. Yes. And if we had a more just system, he would not have been there. No doubt. I mean, Steve, think, of, think about the, the power that police officers in America have. They have the power to arrest. So they have the power to take away your liberty. And the second power they have, they have the power to use lethal force. And that means that while they should have sanctity of life as their number one top concern in many instances, as we've seen with George Floyd, as we saw with Jamel Roberson, as we saw with Tamir Rice, as we saw with Walter Scott, as we saw with Freddie Gray. Arbery. Yeah, Amon Arbery, the list goes on and on. Officers have powers and rights and thank God for video evidence or we wouldn't be here today. I will tell you, Steve, we represent dozens of George Floyds. That was not a unique incident. It just happened to be caught on video in a moment in time where everyone in America was watching TV. I hate to hear that there's a lot of George Floyds. How do we compare to other countries? You know, look at America, and if we want to have a standard of justice, I've looked at statistics, but I know you know them better than me. Yes. How, how bad is it versus other countries? I, I would say, well, first of all, in America, according to the Washington Post statistics, Roughly a thousand civilians get killed by the police every single year. Think about that. A thousand people get killed by the police every year. And that's not even accounting for the police brutality or other serious injuries, unjustified use of force by the police. In other countries, there's much better statistics. It's amazing when you're in the UK and, and people don't have guns and weapons. The, the one, one of the biggest problems we have in America, Steve, is we have an over-militarized police force and we have a prevalence of guns. And so to the defense of the officers, there's a lot of guns on our streets and that makes a dangerous environment and you get police officers in situations that they're not comfortable, they're not trained, they're not from those communities 
and that's a bad combination. But I think if we studied best practices in other countries, we could learn a whole lot from other countries that have far less fatal encounters between civilians and police. Well, you, you pointed out there's a lot of guns and there's also not very good gun laws. That's um, right. So we, we need better gun laws, fewer guns. Yeah. I think even better gun laws would, would be helpful. You know, we absolutely need better gun laws. The fact, the fact that you can get guns so easily and so quickly without any vetting is mind blowing to me. Uh, and it's created a society that's very dangerous and everybody's on edge. You would think also that every police department would have body cameras. I'll tell you, Steve, if you and I were police officers, we would have our body cams on all the time because that also protects the officers. So it's stunning to me when you have officers in cities where they don't even have body cameras. One of the good things about society now, good or bad, is that Chicago is the third most surveilled city relative to Beijing and London. So there's cameras everywhere. And now everyone is a citizen journalism because everyone can just pick up their cell phone and record. So we got to figure out a way to make change. And I think it's based on change of legislation and change of laws. And the other thing that people talk about is defunding police. And I want to say something about that because it actually ties with the Baha'i writings. In the Baha'i writings over a hundred years ago, it said that take all this money we're putting into policing and jails and put it into education and bettering ourselves so we don't commit crimes in the first place. So we have a better, safer, more just society. Instead of building another jail, instead of giving police more firepower, why not build a school? Why not build a jobs program? That's cheaper anyway. You know, it's so expensive to have a violent society. Best way to stop a bullet is a job. And the other thing is there's no defund the police. It's redirect, reallocate. Right. In the city of Chicago, $600 million in the past 12 years. And that's just payouts to families based on police brutality. Imagine $600 million put into the New York school, public school system, the Chicago public school system. I mean, there should, number one, it shouldn't be defund the police. It should be redirect funds, invest those funds. And to me, invest those funds in, in disadvantaged communities and a lot of times communities of color. Exactly. And you know what? Do it in partnership with police. Get police involved. Because I think there's a lot of good policemen out there. And you, I you think- cannot have, the, the first time a black kid sees a police officer shouldn't be when he's being arrested. My whole vision is how do you create situations where there's true community engagement? Why can't these officers be at these events playing ball or be in the community? Think about this, Steve. When kids, especially on the south and west sides of Chicago, you see a fire truck go by, all the kids are waving, right? You like the fire truck. You see a marked police car go by, is a visceral reaction. I just think that says a lot about the view of police in America. I think there's a lot of really good police. We got to put the police in better position to do their jobs. Restructure society so we have more jobs programs, we have better education, and I would say better spiritual education. You know, again, I'm always talking about spirituality, but when I say spirituality, I don't mean harsh religion. What I mean is teach people at a very early age love and kindness and compassion yeah. and mercy and justice and wisdom, all of the spiritual virtues that yes. are the basis of true religion. I agree with you. I mean, you know, listen, if, if a mother whose son has been shot and killed unjustifiably by the police can take her pain and turn that into purpose to help others so it doesn't happen to them, why can't you and I and others in our community have that type of love and that type of unity. We can make America a better place. And that's the reason why we are mobilizing all these mothers because we can impact the change. And again, I want to be clear, this is not anti-police at all. We're pro-police, 
but we're pro unity and we're, we, we've got to invest in our communities and provide opportunities. We need to work together too. You and I are working together. We need to make, we need to make this a broader movement. And what's wonderful about Humanity Rising is this is young people who can make a difference. Stand for justice. There's a Baha'i saying justice is, it's actually from the hidden words. Justice is the best beloved of all things in my sight. Turn not away therefrom, if thou desirest me, and neglect it not that I may confide in thee. Living in a just world is so important for all of us. Yes. All of us. Well, and, and people have to have opportunities. I've been amazed over the past six years since we started the law firm and a few years ago since we started doing the foundation work, the amount of young people that are committed to social justice that are committed to equality. My kids go to school and they, they just have a whole different view. I think this is, I think young people can make this change. Post George Floyd, the actions by our young people was amazing. And that was black, that was white, that was Christian, that was Jewish, that was all races and religions. And it was driven by the power of young people. So I think Humanity Rising is just an amazing platform for these kids. I agree, that's why I'm here. So, you know, I think that Debbie and, and her cohort of young people ha have just done an amazing job. And it's the, the idea that, you know, one of the things that we have to understand in, in our society, we tend to throw away old people, which I think is a mistake. And we tend to dis discard or disregard young people and say, well, young yeah. people, well, just go have a good time. And when you get to be an adult, you can help. You know, kids like Devin, who introduced you, are helping already. They did a, a study, I talk about it often in college, testing out whether kids would have a better time if they, were, if they did whatever they wanted or they served people. And they're always happier in service. All of us are happier in service. So give young people opportunities to serve. And that's what Humanity Rising well, is all about. I spent 20 years representing pro athletes. I've been to all the Super Bowls and the NBA All-Stars and on the biggest stages and the most glamorous entertainment situations, I felt empty and I took a complete 360 degree turn to start the civil rights firm. I wanna serve people and I feel so much more better about my life and what we're doing to make an impact. And young people are smart. I just think young people are the difference. I think people like us, you and I have some experience and some knowledge and we can help be helpful, but if we're gonna be successful moving forward, it's gonna be driven a lot by, by young people in America folks like Devin. I couldn't agree more. It's going to be all of the wonderful kids at, at Humanity Rising and kids like them all over the country. You know, one of the things they stand up against in Humanity Rising is their anti-bullying. Yes. You know, and of course, that can lead to shootings as well. I mean, if a kid is bullied. I think you and I had that similar turn. Six years ago, really almost to the month, six years ago, I had a spiritual awakening mm -hmm. and I decided to dedicate my life to God. And, and teaching about the oneness of humanity. You know, think about it. If we really all thought we were one human family, first of all, you, you mentioned it, and there's something you said, there, there's a racial element, as you pointed out and kind of insinuated, but black kids are two and a half times, is it two and a half times more likely to be shot by police? Is that right? Yes. And you look at the incarceration rates and the lack of education rates and the lack of access to healthcare, the, li the list goes on and on. And this is all, about hate because you know there is not a thing in the world that makes a black person less good in any way than a white person except for racism and in other words black people are just as intelligent black we, we're all human we're, we're, we're yeah. you know you you cut beneath our skin we all bleed the same red 
we we ha all we all have the all the same capabilities we're born equal and you know some people are smarter some people are dumber but that goes across race there is no genetic thing that says white people are smarter yeah. there's no genetic thing that says white people are better in any way in an equal non-racist world that, that those figures go away over 10 years ago i was with a good friend of mine and we went through cook county jail i said my god there's a lot of people who are brown and black but not a lot of white people and this is way out of whack here and he says, if you do the crime, you got to do the time. And I said, and he, this is before I was a Baha'i, but I was starting to head that direction. I said, you know, two babies are born, one black, one white. Somewhere between that and this is injustice. Somewhere yeah. between that and this incarceration rate is prejudice, racism. And we need to fix that as a country. I'm, I'm I'm tired of people saying, well, there's nothing wrong. Well, when we, you know, black people are cool. Why are they complaining? There's no more slavery. There's no more Jim Crow. I'm like, talk to your black friends. And since you said that, I assume you don't have any, not to be harsh, but there's a study that says a lot of white people don't have a single black friend. Yeah, and if you're making statements yeah. like that, you probably don't. Yeah, they've, they've never walked in those shoes. And I've gone into courtrooms where the judge or the opposing counsel thinks I'm the defendant. Think about that. I'm a highly educated, licensed lawyer, and I walk in a courtroom and I'm mistaken for a criminal defendant because of the color of my skin. And as you said, you walk into Cook County Jail and you look at the, the population and it's it's not reflective of the population in this city or in cities across the country. If you have access to money, access to representation, you have different outcomes than if you don't have money or have a darker skin. It's inherently, the system is inherently racist. and We've got to make efforts to make change. And I hope young people will do our part, but I think young people need to rise up and address these issues. And we need to educate America. I don't think in a harsh way. America's swimming in racism, but we don't have to yell at people and say, you're a terrible person, you're a racist. Some people I, get hate on for all things, for being wealthy, for being white. Right. I'm a straight, white, rich, able-bodied man. And so yeah. some people would hate me for all these things. I'm not saying I'm the best person in the world or the worst. I'm just a person. Please give me a chance. Everyone should have a chance, but we should have an equal chance. You should yeah. be able to walk into that courtroom and not get that reaction. Yeah. You and I should get the same reaction. That's all yeah. I really want is I, I just don't, I don't want anything extra, which I already have. I have extras already. I, a black friend who told me this says, you don't have white privilege. I'm like, well, I do have white privilege. And here I am arguing that I do. And he said, no, no, you don't really have white privilege. What he said to me is you don't have lack of privilege. You just, you know, you worked hard for your money. I said, yeah, I did. And you went to college and you, you had to do that and you had to do the work. He wasn't just given to us. I said, yeah, that's true. I wasn't born rich. But he says, but the thing is, you didn't have lack of privilege. And so you didn't have people looking at you every day because you were black, having that's lower right. expectations, again, expecting that you're the criminal. And so the, this is what we need to abolish in our world is the is this idea that someone is one iota less, less than or other than. And no, I agree. I agree. There's a, there's a school on the South Side, you probably know, Urban Prep, Tim King. And all those black men graduate and go to college. So when they go to high school, there's an expectation of them wearing that tie with the college that they go to. That's the expectation. And a lot of people don't start their lives with those types of expectations. It's, it's not in their realm of possibility. I think about sports. You got to be on the field to play. A lot of people are still in the locker room. A lot of people are on the sidelines. They, they got to be on the field to play to have an opportunity.
I, I, you know, I just invite everyone to really think about this. What kind of America do you want to live in? I want to live in an America where everybody has a chance, an equal chance. And I'm not worried if, you know, if I get taken down a peg or two, that's fine. Of course, I'm sitting in a position of privilege. I, I don't want to live in a privileged life because I got an unfair advantage. I want a fair fight. And I, I'm one of those people, I think a rising tide lifts all boats. I totally agree. Um, I totally agree. I think a rising tide helps everyone though, Steve. Like we're partnering with other law firms that would normally be competitors. But I said, no, 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 no. We want to advance justice together. I, I just don't view the world that we're all competing. We can grow in this thing together. And even if we are competing, you know, we can love our competitors. We, you know, the That's whole right. thing, every religious book That's out right. there says to love thy neighbor. You're supposed to love each other. Yeah, but, and it doesn't say hate your opponent because they're representing another party. I, I totally agree with you. Devin, welcome back. I'll kick off the Q&A. Andrew, I have a question. How do you think the youth could go about starting this conversation about justice? Well, I think the, the youth need to become educated on these issues. So here's the thing. I love the marches. I love the statements of unity, physical unity, and, and, and going on our streets. But young people need to be educated. They need to learn about the laws. They need to learn about legislation. So there's a, an act called the Justice in Policing Act. It's the most comprehensive police reform legislation ever introduced. It's supporting actual laws. Like if you want less people to get killed, black, white, brown, by the police. To me, the most effective way to do it, and it's not because I'm an attorney, the most effective way to, is to change legislation and laws that protect police from using unreasonable and lethal force. So the best thing young people can do, they have tremendous power in social media. They have tremendous power in mobilization but they have to be educated and know the laws and the rules of the game and the rules of engagement because they can put tremendous pressure on the political powers that be. You know, when Steve and I grew up, you know, we, we didn't have the type of social media tools that you all have. You guys can hit a few buttons on your phone and mobilize a movement. And I think that's power and that's voice, but you have to be educated and fully understand the issues. Very true. That's very true. And especially, especially with social media, we see a lot of different perspectives, different point of views, which influence our point of view. So it really is good to have this conversation. We have another question in the chat. Is this considered an awareness event? I think I want everyone to be aware of what Andrew is doing and how we can help. What Andrew is doing is on the ground every day. He's helping the George Floyds, the Maude Alberys, you know, all of the Jamel Robersons, all of the people that have been unfairly killed by police. And, and this is dozens and dozens of people. So you're seeing it in the headlines. So how do we, how do we make it better? And how do we work together? What I'm talking about every day is unity and love and, and justice. How do we, how do we create a more just and fair and equitable society, which is really the goal. Does anyone want to live in an unjust society? Do we want to live in a violent society? Do we want to live in a society where some mothers are afraid to let their kids out of the house? How do we make it better? Andrew, you're here today to tell us, how do we make it better? Yeah, I think again, we got to mobilize. We got to work together. We've got to use our collective voices to advance change. I think young people have tremendous power. 
especially if they come together. The George Floyd and the Breonna Taylors, that's just a few. I mean, I, I know I have personally spoken to dozens and dozens of mothers who have lost their children and it's never gonna show up on the TV screen. And with Breonna Taylor, I was so impressed with what the WNBA did and the NBA, you know, say her name and they stopped play. But to me, young people, we have to take it to the next level and advance changes, changes in laws, because everyone who gets killed by the police, that's somebody's brother, that's somebody's sister, that's someone's father. I mean, those are people with goals and visions and dreams. They dehumanize it. They say, oh, some black kid in New York or some black kid in Chicago, that was somebody's son and that was somebody's daughter. And that person had dreams and goals, just like you, Devin and Nico, you, you have goals and dreams. Well, so did these kids that life was cut short because of a, a bad situation turned tragic. I think we have a collective interest in working together and, and fighting for justice together. Very true. The youth is the next generation. We do need to unify and we need to love each other. We need to have these conversations. We need to work, we need to unify in order to create a more compassionate world, like humanity rising. We work to create a more compassionate world. We have another question. What changes need to be made in the police to prevent these events from happening? Well, that, that's a complicated question. I think laws need to be changed around the use of force. I think the Justice and Policing Act needs to be implemented. Look at Breonna Taylor, the no-knock warrants. I think we need to train and vet police officers. I think we need to equip officers. Officers shouldn't always be the first responder. If someone is having a mental health crisis, do you think it's always the smartest approach to send guys with guns? You know, maybe we should send social workers or other people trained in crisis intervention training. So I think it's vetting the police officers better, educating the police officers better, equipping them with equipment, but it also is giving folks in our community more opportunities, more jobs, more education, as Steve was talking about. Because if you got kids without jobs on the streets, that's a bad recipe. And, and then you start having encounters with police, with weapons and guns on the streets. That's just a, a perfect storm for bad things to happen. So I think it's a very complex problem. But I think because of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and these other cases, the world is seeing that we have a big problem. I mean, why is it in white communities that officers tend to de-escalate versus in black communities, there tends to be far more fatal outcomes. So I can't really answer your question, Devin, other than I know there needs to be change in laws. And we also need to hold officers accountable for their actions when they do commit violations of the constitution. We also I need to invest in our communities. I think we're out of time, believe it or not, Andrew. Really? Wow. I really appreciate you guys having me on your platform. And I, it's great to connect with young people. And I will tell you, I'll tell Debbie, if, if any of the students on your platform are interested in civil rights, or I can be an access point or a relationship or a gateway, I'm more than willing to be available. I want to thank you, Andrew, for coming on and just say that I, I respect what you're doing. We've got one last question. We're going to sneak it in right here. How can we further your cause in our community and school? You know, I would say do research. I mean, if they want to support, they can look at our, our website, which is all about the mothers, which is truthhopejustice.org. I think communities need to, to think about police brutality in their neighborhoods. They should be mindful, whether it's Truth, Hope, and Justice, or there's an organization we're working with called My Good, which is Macy's Gray's organization that helps families who've been victimized. But I think the way you can help is get your education. 
and become advocates, whether it's in a social justice way or in a business way or a supportive way. If you all become productive people in society, you can advance the cause because you're a player in our society and an influencer in our communities. Once again, Andrew, thank you. Devin, as always, thank you. It's a pleasure to serve side by side with you. Andrew, you know we're in this for the long haul together. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I hope that there'll come a day when you can retire and when your organization is no longer needed. I hope so. Thank you all for listening. That's it for our, our presentation tonight. And Andrew, you're wonderful as usual, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks so Thank much. You. Thank Blessings. you.